Uh, open your Bibles to Leviticus 19, if you would. The, uh, as you know, January 18th, or you may not know, but January 18th is uh, the Sanctity of Life Sunday. And here at Liberty, we often not only devote one service, but several in January to what we call life issues. And this morning I wanted to talk about what does it mean to be pro-life. Leviticus 19 in starting in verse 9, the Lord says, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap, wholly reap the corners of your field, nor shall you gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall not glean your vineyard, nor shall you gather every grape of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and the stranger. I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not cheat your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go about as a talebearer among your people, nor shall you take a stand against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your neighbor in your heart. You shall surely rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Father, we ask that as we uh, look at your word that you would give us a spirit of understanding, a spirit uh, of wisdom. I pray that your word, Lord, would bear its proper fruit in our lives. I pray that um, we would be a people that truly reflect you as you call us in this text and so many others to be holy because you are holy. To be separate because you are separate. Uh, To love our neighbor because you love our neighbor. And I pray, Lord, that as we look at your word today, that through meditating upon your word, you might change us and make us more like you. We pray these things, Lord, in your name and for your glory alone. Amen. Um, You know, one of the things about the, what's called the pro-life Issue is that um, there's a lot of a lot of rhetoric, you know. There's a lot of buzzwords. There's a lot of bumper sticker theology. You know what I mean? So you see a bumper sticker, "God's pro-life." Well, what the heck does that mean? Or "I'm pro-life." I mean, what does it? What does that really mean? Um, for many people, being pro-life means I think abortion is wrong. That, that's what being pro-life is. So if I say, you pro-life, you say, yeah, because abortion's wrong. So I'm pro-life. And, and um, that is uh, true, but it's certainly not the whole truth. <laughs> um, to be against abortion in the sense of thinking it is wrong is not the same as being truly pro-life. Um, 
And even some of us who say that abortion is wrong, and hence I'm pro-life, say it, but there's not necessarily much that backs it up. Uh, It is very easy to denounce the sins of other people. It is very easy to denounce the sins that I am not guilty of. It's very easy to denounce the sins that I will probably never be tempted to commit. It is a very cheap and hollow righteousness to simply denounce the sins of others. Um, the, The church, including this church, has to move beyond mere denunciation of evil. Now, should the church speak prophetically to the culture? Yes. Does, does the church need to say that abortion is wrong? Yes. The church needs to say that the shedding of all innocent blood is wrong. Um, but the problem is when we merely denounce, that is not being pro-life. To be genuinely pro-life requires more than simply saying a particular action is wrong. If we're going to be pro-life, it requires that we do something and not just denounce something. The, the, uh, the other thing that I want to say, and this is really an introduction, really to the whole month, because we're going to have several guest speakers and some really great things this month regarding life issues. We need to not limit the life discussion to abortion. Um, this text here in Leviticus is a great example of God's concern for a whole variety of people. And many Christians who are pro-life may be against abortion, but they're not necessarily pro-other people's lives. <laughs> if you catch my drift. Um, so, when we say we are pro-life, what do we mean? Well, at a minimum, we mean that the divine image is stamped upon every man, woman, and child. That is a minimum. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then he created man, and it says, man and woman, male and female, in his image. In his image. And so having the divine image means that men and women are valuable because they bear God's stamp upon them. They've lost his moral image in the sense that they've sinned, and the scripture says they're now fallen and sinful. But we still see God's image in man, in his personality, his intellect, his will, his emotions. And these give a dignity to Every person. When I say every person, I mean every person. The, the, um, the pro-abortion movement has criticized the pro-life movement as having a love affair with the fetus. Which is one of their slogans for saying you don't care about women, really. You just care about the unborn child. Or the unborn fetus. They won't call it a child. Um, and in some cases, they're right. Because um, if we're going to be pro-life, we have to recognize the dignity of all, not just the unborn. The the dignity of of the woman that walks into a clinic who has an unwanted or crisis uh, pregnancy, as they say. The dignity of 
those who are white, those who are black, those who are Latino, those who are Asian, those who are rich, those who are poor, those who are American, and those who are not. Because we tend to think in stereotypes and we tend to value those that are like ourselves. And, um, and so when we talk about being pro-life, we cannot be selective in our pro-lifeness. If we're going to be pro-life and not just pro-white evangelical middle-classness, then we must be pro-life. That means I accord dignity and respect to all men and women and children. That means I do not classify people by race, color, or even their creed, and then somehow put them in an inferior status to me. You know, I have to tell you, I was... um, Well, I'll get there in a minute. So since all men, women, and children bear the divine image, God cares for them. Uh, I hardly need to quote John 3.16, but let me just quote it for you anyway. For God so loved the world, that means even you. Can you believe that? Even you. No, even you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Some theologians have labored long and hard to tell us that God doesn't really love everybody and the world doesn't mean world there. I I can't imagine a more futile endeavor. Jesus wept over Jerusalem, yet he knew they would never repent. God loves those that hate him. There was a time in my life when I hated him. Sometimes I still do. Shock you? Oh, you never get angry at God? Well, then, here, have the pulpit. All you got to do is walk in the flesh for a couple days. You won't like God. So God loves all, and He loves them not when they're good. He loves them in their sin. We'll come back to Leviticus in a moment. Um, but go to Romans. I'm not telling you anything you don't know today, but I just want to remind you of some things that are so easy to forget. In Romans, which is the gospel expounded, Paul says in Romans 5, 6, he says, For when we were still without strength, in due time, or the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. The ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man one will die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Notice Paul's description of us before we actually turned and put our faith in Christ. 
We were ungodly, verse 6, we were without strength. In verse 8, we were sinners. In verse 9, we were enemies. And the point Paul is making is that even when we were in that condition, when we had that disposition toward God, when we loved sin more than God, in fact, when we were God's enemies, and the word literally means to have enmity and hatred toward God, even in that condition, Paul says, God loved us. If we are pro-life, we will have a similar mindset. When we look at the world, and we look at sinners, as they're called by Christians, we will not merely denounce the sin or the sinner, but we will have compassion for them. We will love the ungodly. We will love those that hate God. But indeed, that is often not the case of what we see. Because often in the church, the church loves its own, kind of, but avoids and shuns the world and the ungodly. You know, I have to say that I was um, deeply troubled by some of the social media I saw when events went down in Ferguson, Missouri. Not only the reflexive um, stereotyping that went on, but how in so much of the discussion, people forgot that we were talking about human beings who have the divine image. And for many white evangelicals, Michael Brown, his life was valueless to them. Because in their eyes, he was a criminal. He was ungodly even though apparently he made a profession of faith in Christ. As I reflected on the events, I thought, um, when I was 18, um, I shoplifted. When I was a teenager, I was arrested for burglary. When I was a teenager, I did marijuana and barbiturates and cocaine and heroin. And if you had seen me when I was a teenager, you would have thought I was a piece of trash. Because I was. But I was a piece of trash that God loved. And I was fortunate enough to come in contact with a ministry that cared about young people and didn't care if they came to church in jeans. Or weird clothing. Remember, I was a child of the 60s. And I looked like it. Long hair. Weird clothes. Strange music. Drugs. Alcohol. And everything that goes with it. And unfortunately, today, many churches still judge people by how they look. And when someone is lost, they shun the lost because they're lost and because they're ungodly. Don't shout me down now. 
And they will come to church and sing the praises of God's wonderful love. But they're thinking only of God's love for them. They're not thinking of God's love for their neighbor. They're not thinking of God's love for their co-worker. They're not thinking of God's love for their alienated parent or sibling. They're not thinking of God's love for those of a different race. They're not thinking of God's love for those of a different economic situation. They're simply thinking about themselves. Now, God loves you, but the thing we have to be reminded of on a regular basis, and communion helps us remember this, not only that God loves us, but that God loves us in spite of ourselves. God loves us because He created us in His image. He's chosen to rescue us and set His love upon us because God is a loving God and there is nothing in us which prompted Him to do so. I mean nothing. And some of us walk around thinking we're smarter than unsaved people. We're better than unsaved people. And the reality is, is that our knowledge of the gospel is a gift. And that every one of us walk, was walking around in darkness, alienated from God, the scripture says. Indeed, under the wrath of God. You, and I know you're thinking, well, how can God be under the wrath of God and God still love me? That's a different sermon. But under his just condemnation, every one of us, So anything that we know about God is a gift. So how dare we look down our noses at those that don't know Him? Because God, for whatever reason, has chosen not to give them that gift, but to give it to us. Are we better than they? Thank God that when I was living as a heathen, which I was, God in His great mercy sent those to me who did not judge by outward appearance. Because I was just a piece of trash. But I had the divine image. And that's why Jesus loved me. When we talk about being pro-life, we have to be pro-life, broadly speaking. We need to recognize the dignity of all. We need to recognize that God loves all. And hence, we should too. We should too. In Luke, I would like to read the the parable of the Good Samaritan again, and then we'll go back to um, Leviticus. You all know the story. We've we've looked at it recently. In Luke 10.25, it says, A certain lawyer stood up and tested him, tested Jesus, that is, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. (laughs) If you can do this, you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. 
But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. And then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This passage here is based upon the passage we opened with this morning in Leviticus 19. Because in this passage in Leviticus 19, the Lord says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the children of your people, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And what happened is that the Jews said, Okay, and they narrowed down neighbor to people of their kind. Yet when you look at the text here in Leviticus 19, we know it isn't true. Notice in Leviticus 19... The Lord says in verse 10, when he's talking about gleaning, this means leaving food for the poor. He says in in the end of verse 10, you shall leave them for the poor and the stranger, the foreigner, the immigrant, for I am the Lord. So right there we know that neighbor doesn't mean just your kind. But the Jews in in their religiosity narrowed the scope of God's love. They limited God's love to those of their own kind. When we say we are pro-life, we cannot limit that. And we cannot limit that by simply saying we are against abortion, which we should be. But rather we mean that God loves all men, women, and children, born or unborn. That means that God loves the poor, God loves the stranger, God loves the disabled. Notice verse 14, you shall not curse the deaf, nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear the Lord, I am your God. God loves the aged. Verse 32 of Leviticus 19, you shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man, and fear your God, I am the Lord. And so when we talk about being pro-life, we must be pro-life broadly, which means that we see the divine image in all, and we have the divine concern for all. The unborn, the born, children, men, women, of all races, the disabled, the healthy, the rich, the poor. We are to honor in the sense of Respect and value all of them, not just some of them. That is the true meaning of justice. That's fairness. Not to show preference for one over another, one group over another group. And that's why here in this passage in Leviticus 19, the Lord says in verse 15, You shall do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In other words, you are not to make decisions based upon someone's status, their economic status. God desires that all be protected. 
That's the purpose of the law. You know, it's funny when people uh, talk about the law in the Bible. They talk about it in a way which shows a, a fundamental misunderstanding of God's purpose and God's heart. They see the law as something that somehow hinders them from from getting something they want. Or somehow it's a, restra- a restraint that's a, a bad thing. You know what I mean? They're chained. The law shackles me. The law, one of the things it does, is the law protects you. It protects you. Indeed, it is to shackle us, but it's to shackle our sin, not our happiness. And in Scripture, because the divine image is on all, and because God's compassion is on all, His divine protection is for all. And as I I pointed out in this scripture alone, he mentions different classes, the poor, the stranger, the disabled, the aged. In other words, all are to be protected because we are to judge in righteousness. So we talk about being pro-life. The issue is bigger than abortion. It has has to do with, uh, and bigger than infanticide, euthanasia, but it has to do with caring for the homeless, it has to do with dealing, uh, helping people who are ill. It has to do with visiting the prisoner. I mean, we can go down the list of things which really reflect a biblical and pro-life attitude. So, in conclusion, I want to say this. Those of us who would claim to be pro-life, and I think there would be many of us, I want to challenge you to not only broaden your perception or your definition beyond simply being against abortion. That's one thing. But I want you to think about what what you really mean when you say that in terms of not just what you're against, but what are you really for? And when I mean what are you for, what... What are you doing to show that you're pro-life? What are you doing? Not what are you saying, but what are you doing? How often do you pray on what are called life issues? How much money do you donate to move forward life issues? How much time do you volunteer to help those and ministries involved in life issues. One of you served at a, at a clinic. One of you visited the homeless. One of you visited a prisoner. You see, we have to go beyond being against abortion. And we need to begin to be pro-life for all, but not just in word, but also in deed. Indeed. And one of the things we're going to see this month as we invite various ministries to share with us, we're going to see many opportunities for ways that we can be pro-life, live pro-life. Let's stand together and pray. Lord, I thank you that... um,
You're a God that loves the unlovable. I thank you that you're a God that rescues those that are pretty much overlooked by others. I thank you that you care about the unborn. I thank you that you care about the homeless. I thank you that you care about the poor. I thank you that you care about black, white, Latino, Asian. I thank you that you care about men, women, and children in all different stages and phases of life. Lord, there are none that are insignificant to you. There are none that are disposable to you. And I pray, Lord, that even in our in our own homes and how we treat our spouses and our children, even in our own church, the way we treat one another, we would demonstrate compassion, that we would treat one another with dignity and love. And I pray, Lord, that as a community, we would begin to see those around us as you do. We ask it in your name. Amen.